So what if I told you that all of us collectively believe a lot of things that are completely untrue? Like, for example, there's no God. No, I'm just kidding. There's a God. Uh, but other common knowledge type things. Newcomers are like, I'm not coming back here. I'm just kidding. Come back next Sunday, please. There are, so there's a bunch of myths that have spread across the country somehow, even way before social media. I don't know how things spread. How many of us knew how to draw the Superman S thing with the six lines? Who spread that? I don't know. They have just have no truth to them. And let me give you some of those examples. So first of all, many of us believe that goldfish have a three-second memory, that they swim in their bowl and then they forget. That's actually not true. It turns out goldfish can have a memory that lasts up to three months. Many of us were told at some point, maybe in elementary school, that if you drop a penny off the Empire State Building, you're going to go to jail because it can kill somebody. Turns out the physics is pretty simply or simple in that it's, a penny is both too small and too flat to actually gain much velocity at all. It might pinch you if it were to hit you. This is really disgusting. A lot of us were told that dogs' mouths are very clean and cleaner than human mouths, which is completely wrong. Dog mouths are full of bacteria and disease. Think about how we wash our hands all the time because we use them for gross things. Dogs' hands are their mouth and they never clean them. It's not a self-cleaning oven that all of a sudden gets cleaned by itself. Many of us were told, don't touch a baby bird if it's out of a nest because the mom will smell human scent on it and abandon their baby. Did you know that scientists aren't even completely sure if birds have much of a sense of smell at all? Who knew? All right, here's the controversial one. I think I'm going to guarantee some angry emails, but I'm going to stick my neck out there for this one. Ready? If you sleep with a fan on at night, hold on, you're not going to die. I just guaranteed some angry emails from moms. It's a heretical church. It's not uncommon for things that are untrue to become common belief when shared in community. And, and these myths aren't like necessarily jokes, so they start from nowhere, aren't like embedded in some element of truth. You know, usually it's just a misunderstanding that kind of goes far down the years, like, like the telephone game. Maybe it was once uh, uh, rooted in truth and just gets lost in translation. Sometimes it's a principle that is true in certain circumstances, but isn't universal, and it becomes universal somehow. And sometimes it's bad detective work. Somebody kicks down the door, there's a dead body, and there's no signs of death except the ceiling fan, and they're like, oh, that must be it. It's a number of reasons. Any culprit or anything that causes these misunderstandings to linger, to grow, and then just kind of coast over the generations. And this type of thing also does happen certainly in the community of faith. Maybe a Bible passage is taught out of context, just kind of yanked out of scripture and just taught from the verse. Or a pastor, a church leader misrepresents maybe an attribute of God. They love talking about God's love, God's love, and they're afraid of talking about God's justice and that he's angry. Or vice versa. Boom, boom, boom. We're all going to go to hell and never talking about the love of God. Or maybe for a lot of us, it's a well-meaning Bible study teacher who volunteered on the weekend when we were children, when we were in middle school. And they just really honed on their specific point of view as opposed to understanding what the original author intended. I don't know how many of us believe that you swallow eight spiders in a year. You don't. But it's very likely that 100% of us have at least something about scripture, about God, that actually isn't true. And here's the thing. It's okay. I'm not sounding the alarm bells. It's a part of the human experience and it's been happening since the very beginning. 
thousands of years ago, the people of God had plenty of misunderstandings of who God was and what he wanted from them, and it got passed on to generation after generation after generation. And so God sought to fix that problem. He came down in the flesh as Jesus Christ, God incarnate, and he set the record straight. And that is why we have some of the most important chapters of all the Bible, Matthew 5 through 7, which many of you have heard before called the Sermon on the Mount. I'm certain if you've been to church at least a little, or if you grew up there definitely, you've heard plenty of sermons from Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. But not all of you have been told that in a lot of ways, the Sermon on the Mount's purpose was Jesus reconstructing faith. You know, no one used that language in, like back then. Today, it's like the hot button, like cool word to use. But that's what he was doing. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus addressing misinterpretations and then correcting them. Over and over, Jesus will start his sentence with, you've heard it said, but I tell you. And what he's doing is saying, you think this way. Somebody taught you this in the past, but that's not what I'm about. It's this. And he combats that. And so much of the Sermon on the Mount is actually Jesus correcting our misinterpretations that were commonly held among the people. And just as much as the people back then needed to hear Jesus directly tell us, hey, this is who I am. This is what you should care about. This is what I'm about. And this is not who I am. We need it today. And thank God we have a Bible that we can open up, read, talk about, gather in a room to talk about, and turn to over and over and over again in this life in order to recalibrate what the heart of God really is and what we should commit our lives to. And so that's what we're going to do for the next five weeks. We're going to choose five different passages from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, and hear directly from Jesus. Hey, y'all think this, but that's not it. It's this. This is what God is really about. This is what following me is truly about. And so we're going to start right from the beginning this morning from Matthew 5, verse 1. So hear God's word. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. And then his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Isn't that, aren't those verses just epic, just thinking about that moment? He began to teach them and he said this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we need to start, start first, start, start first, start with this word that is repeated over and over again, blessed. What does bless, blessing, blessed mean? Someone sneezes, we say bless you. We say, oh, like someone gives you a gift. Oh my gosh, I'm so blessed today. What does that even mean? We just use it so commonly. It just becomes mumbo jumbo. So 
here's the definition. Blessedness, to be blessed, means to achieve the highest and most profound sense of happiness as a result of receiving the favor and approval of God. One more time. To achieve the highest and most profound happiness as a result of receiving the favor and approval of God. Being blessed, blessedness is God pouring out his goodness on you and it's the joy that results because of that. So if we have that definition in mind, a highest, most profound happiness because God's love for you, we turn to these statements. And so we think of the scene, right? Jesus in his ministry and he's popular by now. That's why crowds are chasing after him. He sits on the mountainside so that he can talk to a bunch of people. He begins to preach. And I imagine that this audience is just like, ooh, like this is going to be good. Like I followed this guy. I walked here from so far away. He, did, you, did you hear about this guy? Like the miracles? He turned a bunch of vats of water into wine. And so there's all this anticipation about what this new, like famous, uh, clearly prophet, clearly something special guy is about to say. <laughs> and I can imagine their faces just being with smiles and then, uh, like, just being so disappointed as he throws a knuckleball at them. No one would have expected what he was about to say about your highest profound happiness is this. Because this is what he says. He says, your highest and most profound happiness is being poor in spirit. Being mourn mourning. What he, what he means by that, poor in spirit means to be spiritually bankrupt. It means to know how broken you are. And then the counterpart to that is the mourning. It's not just blessed are those who are crying. It's blessed are those who mourn the reality that this world is messed up. He says blessed are the meek. Your highest and most profound happiness is when you choose to be powerless. When you stay at the bottom. When people walk all over you. He says blessed are those whose greatest longing is to be righteous. Like hunger, like starvation. That you want God's will in your life, like you're dying of hunger. Blessed are those who are merciful, not those who get justice and who get theirs and who, 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 who's, if something bad happens to you, it's made right, you are compensated by, by law. No, no, no. It's those who are merciful and it's just forgiven without anything. Blessed are those who are pure through and through. Blessed are those who create peace on opposing sides, not those who speak up for themselves. Blessed are those who, this is nuts, Get persecuted for being a Christian. So let's talk about misunderstandings, right? Talk about Jesus being like, hey, I'm not here to make you guys like gush over my sermons. I'm here to tell you, you think this? But that's not it. Let me set the record straight. What you all assume will bring you your greatest happiness and joy in life is off. See, None of us, because we're human beings, naturally believe anything that he said. I bet a bunch of people got saved in that moment and followed him. And a bunch of people were like, what? Like, I am out of here. My default, let me tell you, let me just pick some examples from here. My default is not to think being meek will make me happy. My goal in life that I attribute or I connect with, I probably am going to be happier, is when I climb the totem pole, climb the ladder, when I have more influence and power and status, not when I'm at the bottom rung of society, but Jesus says, no. Actually, staying there is going to actually give you a more satisfying life. As a default, as a pastor, 
my, my, my blessedness, highest and most profound happiness, I do not think, or I do think it's going to be when so many people start coming. We're running out of space. We need to add more chairs because everyone's like, oh my gosh, Pastor Danny, I love Cornerstone so much. Everything that you guys are doing is so amazing. I tend to think naturally that that will make me happier. Not when people insult me, say evil against me, and to the point of persecution. Everything that Jesus says sounds a little nuts here. Are you kidding me right now? But even though it sounds way off, I think the only way that I can get myself to disagree with him is if I cover my eyes and ears and I pretend that I don't see so much proof that he was right. Let me give one example that all of us can relate to, particularly Cornerstone's demographic. Cornerstone is made up of people, mostly, the majority of us, are people who in the worldly blessedness sense, so if we were right and Jesus was wrong, are the most blessed people in the world. We have the best educations, the best salaries, best living situations, best quality of life circumstances, literally in the world. A lot of you, I've been, I was a college pastor for a lot of years, you came here and you're at your safety school and you're, ah, I just gave me the most money school or I didn't get into my dream school. That school to you is millions of students' impossible school. I couldn't even dream of ever stepping foot on the campus, let alone be admitted there. Those of you who are working, you're post-college, a lot of us will get our entry-level job and your starting salary, maybe it was disappointing to you. Over 90% of the world will never achieve that salary even with decades of experience. We are the most educated, the richest, most powerful and influential and privileged people in the world. And so if we're right, if Jesus is wrong, we should be the happiest people in the world. We should have already achieved our highest and most profound sense of eternal joy. Right? It's pretty simple logic. But that's not true. We're just as dissatisfied, stressed, anxious, restless, depressed. All of our rich salary is going to therapy appointments because we're not that happy. We're just as unhappy. And so I feel like I have to do this and pretend that I think Jesus is wrong when it's not the way it is. He's always right, annoyingly right. The way our flesh default defines blessing is not true after all. We have here in Matthew 5, the very word of God recalibrating our hearts, tuning our minds to what is truly the way of blessedness. And that is the way, in the way, that way is to have humility and to live humbly. It's hard to lump all the Beatitudes, there's a lot of verses, into one theme. But if I can do that, it's of humility, of lowliness. It's the opposite of power, the opposite of prestige, opposite of influence, opposite, ready, that we're all going for, success. Blessedness comes with being more humble and having a greater resemblance of Jesus. And so here's my humble attempt at making a summary beatitude. Ready? Blessedness, blessed, happy eternally, profoundly, is the person who resembles the humility of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who, like Jesus, was poor, who mourned the brokenness of the world, who chose to be meek as opposed to powerful, 
who followed God's will perfectly and longed for it, who was rich in mercy even to the people who murdered him, who had nothing but purity within him, who made peace, not war, not fighting, not disagreement, not taking sides, not you versus me, who made peace, reconciling enemies, and then turning them into family, who was not only persecuted, but was killed because of righteousness. Cornerstone, all of us want to be blessed. That's a human universal thing. We want to be happy and deeply happy, permanently happy. All of us want profound, eternal, unchanging happiness. The quest, that isn't the question. We all want that. That's clear. The question is, are we searching for that in the place that can actually provide it? Are you looking for your eternal happiness in something that can actually answer that call? Imagine you find a genie in a lamp and he comes out. They're always blue and they're always jacked for some reason. Why, why do genies have to be so built? Whoa. You know? So ripped. Whatever workout thing they're on, we need to do that. What would our wishes be? You can't do more wishes. Money, fame, power, love, sex, combination of all of the above. Because we're convinced if we have those things, we'll be happy. So here's our recalibration this morning, Cornerstone. Here's what Jesus showed up on the scene. He's like, hey, let me show you the better way. Here is our, you actually don't swallow spiders at night. Here's our, humans use way more than 10% of our brain. If you believe that, maybe you are using 10%. No, uh, we use all of our brain and it's lit up all the time, even when we're sleeping. Here's our correction. Money, sex, power, power fame, it's not going to make us happy. But transformation in our inner selves, in our inmost being, will. If you want to be happy and all you want is the best school, best job, promotion, bigger bank account, better car, you're going to be disappointed. So what can we all adjust and change today? What energies can we shift into growth, into Christ-likeness in order to truly find the source that when you're looking for blessedness, you'll actually get answered? What is it for you? And all, in the Beatitudes, I mean, all of them we, we need to apply. But maybe it's to choose meekness, to choose powerlessness as opposed to the assertion of your will. Maybe some of you hate your workplace because your boss is always hounding you or your coworker who's actually the same title. There's no hierarchy here. Like bosses you around as if they're your boss. And, and, and you feel like the greatest thing for you to be is put your foot down and fight back. Maybe try meekness this week to choose. I'm going to actually choose humility. Maybe for some of us, it's, it's, it's to be a peacemaker. It's that beatitude. We need that more in our life for, to have greater blessedness. This world does not need more angry people pointing at the other side. We got plenty of that to go around. If anything, we have way too much of that to go around. But what if the church were to separate ourselves instead of joining the party of, oh my gosh, you're red, you're blue, you're this or that, I hate you. Adding to Twitter and Facebook and all the animosity. What if the church created peace and chose to remove ourselves from the boiling and bubbling hatred in the red thermometer of this country 
and chose to be peacemakers in the way that Jesus should have, or God should have poured out wrath on us, smited us, but made peace with us and then said, hey, you're my child. Maybe we'll find, it's not crazy, that we'll actually be happier. Maybe that's where we'll find true blessedness. So this week was gnarly for me. Um, I had I got an invitation to two funerals in one week. I don't think that's ever happened to me before. Uh, one was my friend's grandfather who had passed away, and the other was a friend's mother who passed away. And one thing, I don't know how many of y'all have ever been to a funeral before, but, I mean, surely some of you have, and um, you will at some point. And as an attendee, um, one thing that it makes you do is look inwardly and have some self-reflection. You can't help but sit there and ask bigger questions. And so I, asked my, I sat there in the funeral and I thought to myself, I wonder who would be at mine? And more than the attendance, what would people remember me the most by? Because inevitably at every funeral, they talk about the person who's passed on. And different people will be invited to come up and share about the memories and how that represented what that person meant to them and how they had this attribute and this attribute that was so special. And so I thought naturally, like, oh, I, what would people say about me if, if I passed away or when I pass away? What would they say? What would my wife say? What would my hopefully very grown son say? What would my family and friends say about me when I die? Think about that for a moment. What do you want people to say about you when you pass? You have all these people gathered in your honor, in your memory, to mem in your memorial. And they step up to the stage. They grab the mic. Maybe they're fighting back tears and they're saying, hey, Danny was like this. Or Danny did that. What would you want? So I've been thinking about this all week. It's a good thing. I mean, funerals are obviously very sad and unfortunate, but the fruit that comes out of it is I've been thinking about this all week. And I can't help but feel so much tension. I feel tension, and this is the tension, of how our young, professional, busyness, success-oriented compass is pointed this way, and where it points is blessedness equals success. And the tension that I feel is I know that's not true, but I'm pointed there. And if I don't make any changes about it, I don't think I'm going to want to hear what people say at my funeral. I'm saddened. I would be saddened. I, actually, I would be a little embarrassed if, if people showed up at my funeral and they were like, um, he always sent an email on time. I am good at that, by the way, as many of you know. He always showed up to a meeting on time. I'm going to miss you. You know, like, I would be embarrassed if that's what the content of my eulogies were. I did think about my son Judah standing up as an adult and speaking at my funeral. And I hope what he will talk about is who I was to him. Not what I did with most of my time. Not what work or professional, or hobby things I accomplished. I hope he'll talk about how all he remembers is that I was always around, that I was present. I hope he talks about that I was gentle with him when he really messed up. 
how I was a good listener, how I was someone he trusted and that he could turn to me, how I led and I raised him with humility and with love. And if my, if my funeral or my eulogy would go that way, I would feel blessed. Another proof that Jesus is right. I would feel blessed if that were the case. And I would feel super unblessed if my eulogy was he had this much saved in his bank account, in his retirement funds, and then he wrote a will that left it to us. Right, Judah? Yeah. <laughs> See, the Beatitudes are all about the heart. Blessedness is about who you are on the inside and not what you produce and accomplish with the work of your hands. So if you truly want to gain profound, utmost happiness in life, what needs to be adjusted, church? What area of Christ-likeness needs to be grown and pivoted? What is a belief that you've been holding on to that you're working really hard for right now that Jesus is coming with his word and reconstructing and saying, that's not the way it is. Let me show you a better way that will give you joy that you've never expected before. When I, well, my prayer is for me, for Cornerstone, for all of you, is that we become a people whose definitions are constantly redefined by Jesus Christ. Not by human emotions or opinions, not by the tides and the sways of culture, but by Jesus. So Cornerstone, let's be a people whose true happiness is, is sought and what could actually provide it for you.